Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Rob. We've been mates since we met at drama school in 2004. We're both actors, and for the last 10 years we've been working in all sorts of productions, from small fringe shows to big arena tours. We love the theatre, so we thought we would make a podcast to bring you a series of inspiring conversations with interesting people from the world of theatre. So this is our podcast. Welcome to Inside the West End. Inside the West End with Ben Morris and Rob Copeland. Thank you for downloading episode 20 of Inside the West End podcast. We are on Twitter. Follow us at Inside West End. We've got a page on Facebook, Inside the West End podcast. Go and like that. And if you want to get in contact, then as always, email insidethewestend at gmail.com. Can you believe it's 20? I know. It's exciting that. That's nearly half a year's worth. Yep. Coming up, we have the first soloist from the Royal Ballet, Claire Calvert. We got in contact with Claire because we put a little appeal out on Twitter asking you, our listeners, who would you like to hear from on our podcast? Uh, People told us they wanted to hear from ballet dancers. So we contacted Claire. And actually, the next few podcasts that we're putting out are all suggestions from our listeners. So do contact us. We do see every message you say. And we try and respond to every single one. We listen to you if there's things you want to hear. So drop us a line. Uh, we would like to say a big thank you to all the people who have donated this week uh, if you haven't done it before you can go on to insidethewestend.com and click on the donate button and pop in a few pounds we actually had our first donation this week from Switzerland thank you so much to Karen Shelbert who uh, took the time to go on our website and all the other people this week uh, but specifically from Switzerland we've not had them from there before it's great and as we all know Switzerland is very famous for chocolates but also for fine watches so should anyone be listening or fans of our podcast from the famous watchmaker Rolex and you'd rather send us a couple of nice watches then we would happily accept them as well anyway let's get on to the chat with the Royal Ballet's Claire Calvert This is Claire Calvert and you're listening to Inside the West End Claire Calvert welcome to Inside the West End Hello. I can actually see you this time. Yes. We've just had to start again because our pop shields for our microphone were literally covering both of our Ben's faces. Ben's fault. It was Ben's fault. It was Sorry. Ben's fault. I'm glad you've owned up to that, actually. Um, so we're really excited to speak to you because you are the first person from the ballet world that we've spoken to. Yeah. Very, very exciting. And it's a world that Ben and I are not massively familiar with. So we've got lots of questions that we want to ask you. Yeah. Um, You've just recently been promoted to first soloist at the Royal Ballet. Yes. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The way we have our company set up is three ranks. So when you first join the company, you're part of the corps de ballet, which is the body of the company. They're all the people that are around the stage, um, stood in lines. And within the corps de ballet, there are two ranks which is artist and first artist usually as a first artist you have been in the company longer you may be asked to sort of be the person at the front of the line or lead certain bits or if there's a slightly more featured role within the corps de ballet that would be your role after first artist you move to soloist which means that you will be more dancing on your own Again, progressing through the company, then you get to first soloist, which you still do solo things, but you may also get the chance to do principal roles, which means the main 
ballerina part of the ballet. Obviously, after first soloist, you get to principal, which is the top rank in the company. So you're currently on your summer break. Yes. And you've stupidly given up a day to come and speak to us, <laughs> us idiots, yes. to ask silly questions about ballet. Yes. Um, before we hear more about your current role in the Royal Ballet, we'd love to hear, take you right back in time mm-hmm. and hear about the young Claire. Um, so I was born in Bath. My parents and all the rest of my family are from Yorkshire. Um, so I was born there. My parents lived in Chippenham and we lived there with my sister, who's two years younger than me. What do your parents do? Um, <laughs> that's going to kill me. Um, this is always an interesting question because when people ask me this, and they say, what does your dad do? And I'm like, I'm not really sure <laughs> what he does. <laughs> and it makes him sound like he's some kind of spy, spy or <laughs> gangster person or something. So what do, you mean, what do you mean by you don't know what he does? Like what, what? So when I was growing up, he dealt a lot in electronics. He used to go to the Far East and do lots of deals with them and... I remember taking in a circuit board once to like show and tell <laughs> at school. Woo! <laughs> oh my gosh, circuit boards! Circuit Being so like, cool. I don't know what this does, but it goes in the back of a TV, apparently. <laughs> um, when I was at school, he went into doing like lots of different jobs um, and worked more for himself and does lots of different things with lots of different people. My parents recently just went in with some other friends and bought a pub. Um, cool. My mum works for Oxfam as well. Sort of after she had my sister and I, she never properly went back to work, but has always been really interested in doing lots of different things. Um, she went to beauty school and trained to do that a bit so she could make her daughters look beautiful. Um, she... Yeah, had has always kept up interest in lots of different things. My nana, um, she was the local dance teacher, producer, show putter on her of like of the local town or whatever. She used to put shows on. My grandma was then in them, um, where I actually get my high insteps from. My grandma's feet are insane, <laughs> um, and. That run th- ran through to her daughter, which is my dad's sister, who went to the ROD, uh, trained as a dancer, went to Germany and now lives in Berlin, but had her ballet career over there. Also then actually changed into musical theatre because the company that she was in, Theater de Spesten, I said that really badly, but that's how this, <laughs> so something again, like that. So <laughs> I tried to say it with like a German yeah, accent. Go on, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> you are like looking at me like um, theatre <laughs> disaster. What I you love can is definitely edit that bit out. We've got like an international audience where people listen to this all over the world, <laughs> and I know for a fact someone's going to tweet in explaining how to how to pronounce. Well, that good, out. and then everyone will know properly how to say it. Yeah. Anyway, so there's definitely sort of theatre in there, um, just not directly from my dad. Yeah. But I guess your parents would have had people they could kind of yeah, talk to so. about. Yeah, I guess so. It's interesting, actually, because it was never really something that I felt like th- that my mum or dad really pushed me into. You know, most parents send their, especially girls, mostly girls, kids to ballet classes. It's, you know, what lots of people do, like, oh, we'll just send them to do ballet, mm. see what happens. Um, and both my sister and I did it and... It was never. It was never something that it was. Oh yeah, yeah. Claire's going to be a ballerina. That's that's what she's going to do. It, we just somehow 
rode the wave and now I'm here. It's, <laughs> it's really strange. When did you realise that you were a standout dancer? I mean, there must have been a point. When... I mean, like well into being at White Lodge, probably the last two years of being at White Lodge. So like when I was like 14, 15. So White Lodge is where... You go it's for... the, raw, the lower school, the Royal Ballet school. school. So you go from 11 to, six, to 16. So why did you go there then? I don't know. <laughs> well... In the reason that I even auditioned for the, the school, I was at a, a program called Junior Associates, which is related to the the Royal Ballet School and system of training. But it's dotted around the country, and it's I guess it's a way of sort of filtering people into the school and getting you know a kind of system of training from even before you're eleven. Um, and basically, the teacher that I had said you should audition for White Lodge. okay then so I went and I got in and then I went to White Lodge and then I got into upper school and then I got into the company and now I'm here like it really it it was never a thing for me where I was like oh I'm really good at this so I'm gonna pursue this but to be a ballerina it takes so much discipline and I would imagine that if you had ambition it's it's a a lot easier to uh, really be strict with yourself growing yeah. up and doing all that training. Like, I mean, you must have had some level of ambition. I mean, I think as a person, I'm quite driven and I work hard. I, I like to do things well. And of course, I put masses amount of effort and hard work into it, but it was just a way of life for yeah. me. Like, I went when I was 11. Do you, like... If you ask most 11-year-olds, what do you want to be when you're older? What do you want to do? You know, oh, I want to do this. And then next week, oh, I want to do this. And, you know, it was a lifestyle choice. Not that I made or that anyone made for me, but because somebody saw talent in me and was like, if you go into this system, this will push you out the other side as a professional dancer. A lot of dancers are picked on their body type and physique on sort of their natural musicality or ability to to move to perform um you know at a young age you don't know what people are going to turn out like it's not a given just because you're picked at 11 Mm. um to to go to such a prestigious school or whatever that you're going to come out the other side to to be that what was it like going away from your parents and everything at 11 like how often were you able to see your family everyone's different um some people really struggled were really homesick and would go home every weekend and you know see their parents as much as they could I found it harder if I went home because the whole, you know, we had classes on Saturday morning, so you leave Saturday afternoon, drive for two and a half hours, get home, have a night at home, go to sleep, get up and, you know, early afternoon you end up having to go back. Plus, it's in the middle of Richmond Park, which means during the winter the gates shut at like four o'clock or something, so you have to either be back for that or there's this awful thing where they used to pick everyone up from a minibus at Richmond Station and everyone's there and your people's parents and all these kids crying and it was just horrible. Like I just so I used to just go home in holidays. My mum used to come up quite a bit, just on they had this thing called Sunday visits, so someone could come up and take you out on a Sunday and bring you back. Again, you could come back before the gates or that awful pickup thing at Richmond Station but um, I found it much easier staying in the same place and having my 
mum come to me because I didn't feel like I was going back to that and have to be taken away again. I don't know how good it was for my mum. I think she, now being older and sort of more aware of things, I think I imagine that was probably quite difficult for her, the whole coming up, seeing me and then having to drive all the way back home, like having left me there like, oh, bye, mum, <laughs> have a nice drive. <laughs> um, but for me, it was much easier to deal with it that way. Um, when you talk about the ballet school, it it makes me wonder, like, did... Who were you as a teenager? Did you have a life outside of the school or are you stuck in that bubble? Oh, and it's No. I mean, for the first three years um, at White Lodge, I didn't even have a Christmas because we were working with the Royal Ballet um, in their production of The Nutcracker as the kids in it. So as I do now, work through to Christmas Eve and be back day after Boxing Day. Did you ever crave normality during that period? I didn't really know what normality was, course, I don't yeah. think. Like, so, did you have posters on the wall in the dorms of, like, boy bands? No, we weren't allowed to no. stick things on the walls. We had, we actually had this really bizarre thing. I remember going and we were allowed three teddies, three pictures, three ornaments. Yeah, I think that was it. And we had... <laughs> what were yours? What were your pictures and what were your um, ornaments? I, I thought, oh, I can't remember. I, I was quite into dolphins at the time. I think I had some dolphin <laughs> ornaments. Cool. <laughs> there you go. Off you go with your dolphins. Yeah. Um, and we had a pin board above our bed as well that we could um, pin things up. More dolphins. More dolphins. Yeah, sure. So... You, you're in the Royal Ballet School. Yeah. Can you explain, as I said, we're not from a ballet background yeah. and a lot of our listeners won't know this structure yeah. of how it works. Yeah. You're coming towards the end of school life. What happens? Um, so White Lodge is just up to your GCSEs. Um, Which for people who don't live in the UK, what age is uh, that? 15, 16. 15, 16. And then you move on to the upper school. So we did actually do one A-level while we were there. <laughs> Which was? Which was, I actually did English Lit, which is really ah. weird. I mean, there wasn't very much choice. I'm going to tell you, there was maths, which yeah. obviously was an absolute no-go. <laughs> <laughs> Art. And my tutor at White Lodge was the English teacher. So I was just like, I'm just going to stick with you and just sit there and pretend to read books and hopefully get an A-level. Not that I'm intending on using it, but, you know, you're supposed to have those kind of qualifications in case it all goes wrong. But school was... Like as in academic work was just not interesting for us. It was just a formality, really. Like we were there to to dance. In general, in the performing arts, mm-hmm. um, the way you look at your physicality limitations have a huge bearing on the roles that you can play. Is it the same in ballet? Because everyone's the same kind of build, surely, if you've gone through that training. No. I think, as an example, in Russia, everyone is the same body type. They pick those people because their bodies are like this. In England, it's not as much like that ballet like any art form is aesthetic you know you have to look pleasing to the eye because people are coming to watch you um but there's definitely a bit more give certainly uh the english and the royal ballet is more famous for is the fact that you can come and watch a show and for all different reasons you will enjoy it there's a more sort of variety of dancer you know people that are a bit more modern people that are really classical um so style of dance affects casting more than look or a bit of both well a bit of both i'd say because you know again if you're quite a strong athletic looking dancer sure to do (laughs) yeah to do a certain role might not 
look right or if you're doing sort of you know a really cutesy role you're not going to pick someone that's like six foot Mm -hmm. to do that because it just wouldn't look right or if something's really fast moving you would pick you know a smaller dancer or if something's really slow and like adage you would pick maybe a taller, longer-looking dancer because that's just the style. So does your natural facility affect your uh, potential for, for becoming a principal or uh, do principals all tend to be a certain body type? Yeah, it definitely can affect that. You know, also a massive thing for us and other companies is who your director is, what their personal taste is, what they like to see, what they think people like to see what gets money in, <laughs> names, you know, this unfortunately and fortunately, dependent on how it affects you, there are so many aspects in in, in all art forms, you know, yeah. musicals or films or, or anything, you know, even in ballet, as old as it is, there's, there's things that go in and out of fashion with it. So talk to me about your average day performing so you literally uh, this fascinates me and I was saying to Ben before that it's not just people who work in sport I see being a ballet dancer as being an athlete yes and I'm fascinated by so the moment you wake up your whole day has to revolve around this thing Mm. that's happening later on talk us through your day I mean sometimes it amazes me what we actually do you know people would actually think we're crazy I will talk you through the day in a minute (laughs) (laughs) one of the biggest problems we have in ballet today I feel personally is that you can't compare us to any other I don't even know the word to put activity you know sports any other performance type what we do is unique to any other form we do ballet class every day 10 30 for an hour and 15 minutes then we have 15 minutes break and then potentially we could work from 12 to 6.30 straight through without a break if our schedule needed us to because we were so busy. If we have a show, we have to finish at 5.30 because we need two hours to get ready for the show, which includes any kind of rest, any kind of food, get your makeup on, re-warm up, and then the show starts 7.30 till 10.30. So before... On the day of a performance, you may have danced for anything up to seven hours already yes. that day. Yeah. And when you're in show mode, uh, I feel very rude asking this question, yes. but I'm genuinely, because I'm fascinated, do you have to change your diet for, in terms of, because if you're dancing that much, well, do you have well, to this is a problem. more it's calories? Like we've or? actually, I, I guess when, when you say it like that, it sounds more dramatic than it is. You know, some rehearsals we're doing, we're just learning things. Mm. Some rehearsals, you might be just covering a part, so you're kind of at the back you know, kind of doing, but kind of not. Dependent on what role you're doing, they can be lenient with you in rehearsals and say, oh, you don't have to do it today or your second cast can go in or whatever. But we've had, because recently we had a new head of our physio department, head of healthcare come in, and we've had umpteen nutritionists come in and talk to us that work with all forms of athletes. And, you know, they blah, 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 talking, you know, you have to eat this and rest this, blah, blah, blah. And then eventually someone pipes up and says, so what do you eat if you've got like 15 minutes break and then you have to go and run a piece? If you've got any kind of food in you, you will bring fully back up. Then you've also got to know that you've got enough energy to do it. And he's like, basically, you just need to carry a bag of snacks around with you six days a week until you can eat on Sunday. They, they, they just don't have anything 
to say to us. Most professional athletes, whether it be running an Olympic sport or whether it's like football or rugby, they will have their diets planned out, their exercise planned out, their rest planned out. Our rest time is from, you know, either we finish at 6.30 and we go home and lie on the sofa and do as little as possible, or, you know, you finish at 10.30, get all your makeup off, blah, 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 get home like, you know, a bit after midnight, sleep and get up and that that's it. And then you might do this whole same thing the rest of the week. I mean, some weeks we have one show, some weeks we have seven shows, but generally we're doing a lot of hours six days a week. What's been the hardest period of your career? Well, I actually had massive knee surgery three years ago where I was out for 11 months. And it's one of those things, you know, an injury to anyone that uses their body for their work is obviously a devastating thing. And I knew I had a defect. Um, They call it an osteochondral lesion, which is basically a bit of damage to the bone and cartilage. I actually have that written down. I'm so glad you <laughs> said that and not me. Yeah, I have it here. Where is this gone? I don't know. I was waiting for the moment, Osteochondral lesion on the femur. <laughs> on the femur. There you go. Got I'm, that. I was waiting for Ben to drop that in at some point and to hear the panic moment him going, um, <laughs> it's called. It's called uh, uh, um, It's called So I knew I had that. If I had it repaired, it would be the same outcome as if it fell off. So either you have the surgery to repair it and you're off for a year or you wait for it to fall off and then you have the surgery. At the time, I had quite a strong view that nobody ever really makes it back properly from surgery in ballet. So it was quite near the end of the season and I was doing a curtsy on stage as part of the show and I came to get up and it was like someone had kicked me in the back of the leg you know when people come up behind you and like shove their knee in your knee and you kind of yeah jerk yeah and I was like oh that feels weird anyway carried on the rest of the show with kind of a bit of a weird look on my face kind of thinking like I'm not really sure what's going on here but I I knew something had happened like I could kind of feel it in my stomach more of a sort of gut feeling of that there was definitely something quite serious wrong anyway went home after the show was saying to my boyfriend at the time I was like I really think there's something wrong here he was kind of a bit dismissive of it and I was like okay well you know I'll just go to bed and hope that I wake up in the morning and you know all's fine and I was supposed to debut the next day in a a role in that same ballet called Mitzi Casper it's quite a jumpy quite a big part and I was quite excited to do it but anyway obviously I was you know going to sleep with my fingers crossed like that I'd wake up in the morning and everything would be fine so I went into work and I went to physio and I was like I've really done something to my knee I think I need to go for a scan so I went for a scan came back was like waiting for the results or whatever and um, the physio like called me quite frantically to say don't go moving around too much because the bit of bone and cartilage that's come off your knee is now lodged underneath your kneecap. And <laughs> if you are moving around too much, you don't know what it's oh going to sort of damage while it's there. And I was like, oh, this is good. I've got a massive hole in my knee now. So obviously that was it. I knew I was going to have to have surgery, but it was a case of meeting surgeons and finding out what was the best thing to do two other guys in the company around the same time had a similar thing but one guy 
did the thing that I could have done and had it fixed and the other guy um, had it but unfortunately didn't make it back afterwards. But basically in your femur is kind of like heart-shaped at the bottom and each kind of domed bit is about three centimetres big and I had a hole like one and a half centimetres in my femur basically where this bit had fallen out yeah that was like a massive massive deal for me knowing that I was going to be out for that period of time fortunately I had already been promoted to soloist at the time which meant that I was in a better position in the company you know being out for a whole year can really sort of push back your career and you know for me I'm interested in going to the top and that's what I where I want to be and where I see myself in the company and knowing that I was going to miss a whole year of work um was obviously you know devastating for me the whole surgery was a massive long process I was like two and a half months non-weight bearing and then had to learn to walk with literally putting like 10% of my body weight, 20% of my body weight. It was, it was... How did you feel through this? Um, the, the first like three months were difficult, mainly because I couldn't do anything. Like, I couldn't go anywhere really, like I couldn't get around. Like being on crutches is a nightmare. Not being able to put any weight on one leg, you know, that takes a lot of hard work. You must have you bicep. I know. I was like, I had one massive leg and one leg that was like the size of my arm because I just it you know muscle disappears. Did you consider your options? Um, at the time, I wasn't really aware. I obviously I knew it was serious, but I wasn't really thinking, oh, this might not work. Um, they actually with the bit that they took out they actually took that away and in a test tube grew me some extra cartilage for in case the microfracture didn't um didn't stick and then they would have stuck this bit of you know me that they grew in a test tube back on and they actually called me a year after like so we've got this bit of you know cartilage growing in a test tube do you still want it and I was, was like a yeah and I was yeah, like I, I was like necklace no I think you can get rid of it now um <laughs> so yeah quite right so you know we, we are very well looked after in that um but did you consider you know different career options I mean it must have entered your head no I, w- I was gonna I was gonna I was determined that I was gonna get back for sure like that was it was no option that I wasn't going to <laughs> Hope you're enjoying the conversation. Stay with us and we'll be back to the chat in a moment. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We release a new episode every week and if you're subscribed, it'll just appear on your device ready for you to listen to. It's easy to subscribe. If you've got an iPhone, next to the logo of our show, you'll see a little settings wheel that looks a bit like a cog. Click on that. A few options down, it says subscribe. Or if you're using an Android phone, then on the Podbean app, next to our logo, it just says subscribe there. And the best part is, it's completely free. Now back to the chat with the Royal Ballet's Claire Calvert. So to have a successful career in ballet, I'm guessing you have to have the support of people within the hierarchy of an institution like... Uh, the Royal Ballet. Who in particular has been supportive to you along your journey? I've had lots of support along the way. You know, 
especially, you know, going through school and things like that, I guess it's having the support and being able to talk to different people about... um, Because when you join the company from school, you're kind of just plonked into this institution and not really knowing what to do, really. You know, you just go to the rehearsals you're told to go to and you just assume kind of, oh, well, I'm a relatively good dancer, so I guess, like, eventually I'll get to do those kind of things. But it doesn't always work out like that. And sometimes you have to be the one to say excuse me, hello, I want to do this, please. And even then, they still ignore you. (laughs) They they ignored me. Uh, I really did put an ask in, but I've still not had a reply. (laughs) Were there any directors in particular or more senior dancers who particularly championed you along the way? When I first joined the company, there was a dancer in the company, Jose Matan, who was a first soloist at the time. And he really sort of took me under his wing and, when you first join the company like you don't necessarily do that much sometimes you're not even in some pieces sometimes you're like second cast in the core or you know you're not on in a lot of the shows and kind of keeping up your technique and your standard can be quite difficult sometimes and he really sort of pushed me and helped me to kind of learn and understand how to keep myself going and how to keep my technique strong and be on top of all of that while you're not necessarily getting to do the things that push you. Um, I joined under Monica Mason, who was the director at the time, and eventually she gave me a couple of good breaks, which, you know, just really obviously meant a lot to me and you always kind of feel you know grateful that they gave you this opportunity and hope that you would you know do them proud and do you know the company proud and things um so yeah one of the first things I did was the Lilac Fairy and Sleeping Beauty and I was an artist still at the time when I got to do it which is quite a big thing because it is it is seen as a principal role it's the next role under doing Aurora, who's the main part. And then later on, I got to do The Mistress in Manon, which was actually created on Monica originally. It's ballad by Kenneth Macmillan. And it was amazing because I got to work with her. You know, when you get to work with the person that it was created on, it's always a massive honour. And, you know, you really get to learn how it was done and feel like you really know the character and the part because you can ask those kind of questions well you know because there's also because it's a massive story ballet there's also a lot of acting involved and I definitely learned a lot from her as well as you know getting to do my first few big things um with her in those in those moments do you ever doubt yourself yeah regardless of what kind of artist you are Mm. we regularly doubt our ability to do something you know once you get you find out you're getting to do something wonderful you start you're delighted for a couple of minutes and then you're suddenly going oh my god I now I have to do it yeah. can I imposter syndrome yeah yeah. Um, my problem is never that I can't do it in fact sometimes that's um, one of the things that's been my flaw a little bit I feel is that I I have generally quite a sound technique like there's not many things that I couldn't do but it's still something I really concentrate on when I perform. So I'm always thinking, oh, I have to do this perfectly. When actually, to the audience, they might not notice if I don't do it 
100% perfectly. But if I'm not doing it in the right style or if I'm not doing the right acting, then they will notice that. Because a lot of people that come to watch these things, you know, they've come to watch performance. They're not coming to watch whether you're doing five pirouettes or three pirouettes. Like they, they don't necessarily really know. Um, and it's something that I have def- found a lot more in my later years is to actually let go and know that I, I can easily do the things that I'm doing and to try and sort of, you know, open up and let myself perform more. You said earlier that ballet is different than any other discipline, but we have a question that we ask um, everyone we interview mm-hmm. and I think it's still relevant and I'm really interested in your answer. Mm. Is show business a game you need to learn how to play? Yes. In, <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Great, yeah, that's... I, don't, I don't have the answer but of how you, to play it. <laughs> do you think it's probably linked to when you were oh. saying banging, banging yeah. on the door? And oh, I mean, you know, it's it's an interesting thing, like when... You know, when we're having our general gossips, you know, in the changing room or whatever at work and debating of how we're going to fix everything that goes on and who should be doing this and who should be doing that. And I can't believe this person's doing this. And, you know, that goes could, on. That and, conversation could happen in if you worked in Boots. Yeah, it could it happen could. if you worked in this. The anyway, I can't believe United she's Nations. working on that till. Yeah. <laughs> like, fun. you know, it's. It's the kind of thing that goes on in in all businesses. And some people are just lucky and it just works in their favour. They don't really have to do very much. They just get to the top and, you know, yeah, they're talented, but why that talented person and not the other talented person? And, you know, we always say there's always somebody like, oh, yeah, but, you know, seeing them coming out the office about 10 times this week or like, (laughs) you know, oh, well, they'll be in there saying, oh, I should be doing this and I should be doing that. And, you know, there's always pros and cons to that because sometimes you can go in and say blah, 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 and you just annoy them and they're like, okay, I'm not interested in you. Or you can go in and they're like, oh, you're actually interested in doing that. Or, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. That's a good idea. You know, the director of the Royal Ballet, as much as we think that their job revolves around casting us there's so many other things that they have to deal with you know we have a board of directors that might want so and so to do this or so and so to do that we have like choreographers that come in and say I want to use this person oh well they've like oh, I don't know I don't know if they they're, they're ready to do that yet well I want them but that's it you know there's so many aspects that that we have no control of they have no control of I have a, a question we didn't plan on asking, but you mentioned oh. pirouettes earlier on. Yes. Rob and I would have done some ballet in our training in when we studied musical theatre. Yeah. And I remember I once nailed a triple pirouette. Oh, yeah. Oh. That's right. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. remember that. <laughs> I did. I definitely, did on the left foot, yeah, as well. To how, the left? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm rubbed on my right. Tell yeah. me, how many pirouettes can you do? Um, What's your record? You must have records. I, I think I've probably done eight or nine. I think so. <laughs> On a good day. That puts my uh, my uh, quarter pirouette into uh, <laughs> and fuete turns. I did it. Um, I'm not as good at fuetes, I think, but you know, I'll sh- I'll show you later. Okay, it's... yeah, thanks. I think I th- I know this is not good for an audio podcast, but I I feel like this is a great time to demonstrate my quarter pirouette <laughs> to a ballet dancer. Can you do it? Go I think there's room. Should I try? Let me try. Let me try. Do you know what position you've got to start in? Yeah. Okay. Just about. Okay. I haven't started yet. Right. Okay. You're just preparing. Yeah. Right. And I'm wearing Converse. So it's On the carpet quarter. as well. Yeah. I'm 
Gav Quarter here. Yes. Beautiful. Good. That was lovely. <laughs> that was the perfect thing for an audio interview as yeah. well. So it was because they can't actually see yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. So after leading on from how great my pirouettes are, is it possible to manage a work-life balance when you're a ballet dancer? I get very boring when I'm in work mode because, you know, even even sort of, oh, yeah, I'll meet you for dinner tonight. Maybe we'll have a drink, you know, if there's not a show. This is me talking to a friend, by the way. And, you know, gets to 6.30 and you've just done your whole day and you just think the last thing you want to do is go and sit anywhere other than your sofa and you know, as much as you love the person you're going to go see and sit and chat and get home late. (laughs) So I can become very boring. Um, So we've never seen a ballet, (gasps) Rob or I. You should come. Well, that's what we wanted to say. You should come and watch. I'm doing the Sugar Plum Fairy this year in the Nutcracker. Yeah, you should come. Uh, But is the ballet for everyone? Or is it just for people who know what ballet is? Yeah, it's for everyone. Where should you start with ballet? Well... A lot of the classics are quite long, very ballet ballet. And if if you haven't got any kind of interest really in it, can seem a bit like, oh, are we still going? <laughs> because they're very drawn out stories, you know, Sleeping Beauty, Swan Lake. But um, there's also, we do do a, quite a big cross-section of, of things now we do have some more modern pieces we'd have some new a lot of new works now um nutcracker is always a great one because it's two acts you know there's kids in it there's us in it there's you know magic there's there's just a bit of everything in there you know it's also something that's related to a time period so you can be like at Christmas I went to see Nutcracker and you know everyone wants to be the Sugar Plum Fairy right and you're going to be the Sugar Plum <laughs> Fairy I'm going to be the Sugar Plum Fairy it'll be my first one do you ever think about your life after dancing mm, that's a very difficult question because I am kind of verging on the point of sort of having a think and an idea of what I would do I'm not massively interested in teaching I would be more interested in sort of a more coaching type thing or or I would at least have to be working with someone that's willing to put in the time and effort to do it. Um, a lot of dancers at the end of ballet, am I right in thinking that some go into contemporary? Yeah, model, would also, you be tempted to do that? Um, I don't know. Not so much right now, but, you know, you don't know what life has in front of you. Um, what about choreography? No, I'm terrible at that. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I've actually never tried, but like, no, it just doesn't doesn't do it for me. Our final question mm-hmm. to our guests is always the same, and that is, what piece of advice would you give to somebody who wants to work inside the West End? I think um, one thing I would say is always appreciate, you know, what you have when you're working in an industry or in a show or in a theatre or part of a company, especially like the Royal Ballet. Like sometimes I give like a backstage tour or whatever to people before the show and take them around and you always take them to the stage and the curtains open and I'm, you know, I show them what it looks like out front from the stage. And sometimes even I look and I think, oh my God, I perform on this stage 
I, well, I've been performing on this stage since I was 11. And it is one of the most beautiful theatres in the world. It's, you know, full of amazing dancers. And it's very easy to take all of that for granted. And, you know, because we all care about what we do so much and it's such a passion, it's hard not to not to feel down or depressed about things sometimes when really I'm a dancer with the Royal Ballet. And if you if you if you can't keep somewhere in you that sort of joy and happiness in it, then there's just no point in doing it because it's too much hard work. And I think it's important to always keep keep that with you. You know, people usually say, you know, make sure you work hard and, you know, always be this and always be that. But I think unless you have that, you know, love and joy for it and appreciation for what you're doing and what you're giving to people, then it's kind of loses the point of really why you're there, you know. You're living the dream, Claire. Living Thank you so much for coming and sharing uh, your story with us. Thank Amazing you. to talk to you. Thanks. Oh, before you go, oh. um, if people want to see you dance, yes. what, what have you got coming up that they can see? Um, so, like I said, in the in the Nutcracker this year, I'm doing the Sugar Plum Fairy. Um, we Our season gets let out in periods throughout the year. I don't know necessarily what my up-and-coming casting is you know, for the majority of the year. But if I am doing anything good, my name will be on the website. So Claire Calvert, that's what we've got to look for. <laughs> um, but otherwise, you know, just come and watch anything. Are you on Twitter? I'm not on Twitter. Uh, Let's get you on Twitter okay, today. Okay, we'll go get coffee and get me yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, that's great. great. Right, fab. So well, by the time this interview is released, you yeah, will have a Twitter. I will be on Twitter. Yeah, with there a photo go. of the three of us as yes. your first tweet. Yes! <laughs> Claire, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. A massive thank you to Claire for coming to chat to us. Ben and I love chatting to someone who works in a totally different world than us. Uh, we went for a quick coffee with Claire afterwards and she asked us to say, she forgot to say in the interview, uh, to make it clear that ballet is for everyone. If you've never been, pop on their website. There's not just expensive seats. There are more economical ways to go and see the ballet. So pop on the Royal Ballet website and see what's coming up. Maybe go and see her as the Sugar Plum Fairy. Yeah, and we'll see you there. We'll see you there, yeah. We'd love you to get in contact with us. We're on Twitter at Inside West End. We would also love you to keep sharing our episodes online or by word of mouth. Both go a really long way. So keep it going. We make this podcast for free. If you've enjoyed it and you want to help us make future episodes, then here's how you can. Next time you shop online with Amazon, visit InsideTheWestEnd.com first. Click on any of the Amazon adverts on our site. It will take you straight to Amazon. Your shopping will cost you exactly the same as normal, but Amazon will give us a small kickback as a thank you. Also on InsideTheWestEnd.com, you'll see a donate button. If you'd like to make a direct contribution, then click on the button and follow the link. That's all for this week. Keep an eye on Twitter at InsideWestEnd to see who's our guest on next week's show. Thanks for listening. Hey!